there have been studies over the last 50 years of people that actually set tangible goals versus people that have a general idea of where they want to go. And, you know, again, going back to one of my favorite people, Zig Ziglar, he's got a famous quote is you can't hit a target you don't have. What up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Max McCoy, and this is Looking Up. I'm super excited to have you here, my friends. Like the fact that you are listening to my podcast when there are so many podcasts you could be listening to means a lot to me. I hope you know that. And I have been growing more and more fascinated and passionate about this idea of what gives us direction, what gives us a sense of clarity and direction, and what makes us feel like we're going down a path that is unique and right for us. That has been a huge part of my journey. And as I feel like I'm kind of finding my rhythm, I'm super excited to continue to distill and alchemize these ideas in a way that can help you guys. So I hope this podcast does that for you. I hope it helps you find direction in whatever you're trying to find direction in. And sometimes we have direction. We have clarity as to which direction we want to go. And it's a matter of doing the things that bring us closer to that thing we want to be closer to. Today's episode, I think, can help with that. I'm joined by Christopher Wirth. Christopher Wirth just wrote this new book called The Positivity Tribe. And we had a pretty good conversation. We talk about... Uh, accountability. We talk about self-accountability and getting accountability in others. This is something that I am actively working on right now. We talk about goal setting, setting goals in a way that actually works, setting goals that are actually realistic for ourselves so that they motivate us rather than kind of make us feel like we're not doing enough. We talk about when to quit and when to uh, persist. And we started the conversation off by talking about the Lakers. My beloved Lakers just won the NBA championship. I'm pretty stoked about that. So we start this conversation off by talking about the Lakers, LeBron James, and just how impressive it is to be watching greatness in LeBron James and what we can learn from him and our pursuit, whatever our craft is, there's something about learning from greatness. Before I let you go, please remember to leave a review on Apple iTunes. If you want to support my work, if you enjoy this podcast, that would mean the world to me. That helps me continue to grow and continue to get great guests. Share this podcast with someone who might like it. Send it to your mom, your dog, your grandma, your best friend, your roommate, whoever might like it. And uh, without further ado, here is my podcast with Chris Worth. All right, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for uh, for joining me, man. We're, we're former Hoopers. You're a former coach, and I just knew I resonated with you. I resonated with your work, so thanks for uh, hopping on. I appreciate it, man. When you have the uh, – or when we have a common denominator of uh, former basketball fill-in-the-blank players, coaches, it's almost like we're, uh, we're in a fraternity together. Exactly. Um, since we're talking basketball, just real quick before we get into your background, what do you think – I mean, I had to plug this because I'm actually going to release this episode sooner than I usually do. I'm going to release this next week. Um, what what do you think of the Lakers winning the title? What inspired you by it? I'm a Laker fan. I had to just plug that in there <laughs> since I have a basketball head here with me. What do you think of this uh, this NBA Finals? My Lakers won it. Um, I, so I'll twofold real quick. Is One, I have to yeah. preface that Michael Jordan is still the GOAT. <laughs> um, number two, uh, it was, it was a really interesting NBA finals and, and, and watching the game, the way you saw it from only one side of the court. And then, you know, kind of like the cardboard slash, you know, electronic fans, we, um, know J.R. Smith. So it was kind of interesting to see him be on the Lakers, but not really play much. Uh, but I think, you know, LeBron stepped up, I think AD, had a heck of a series. And I just think that, you know, when, when from the outskirts after game one, 
myself, I was saying four game sweep. So I'm, I'm glad that mm. from a perspective of watching, because, you know, baseball's almost over and we don't know what's going to happen with, with uh, NFL or college basketball. So I, I, the only thing I wish is could have had to go on for a little bit more. Yeah. Man, it was it was fascinating to watch for me, LeBron. I've never watched him in the playoffs uh, as a Laker fan because I've always, you know, been on the other side of him and always kind of rooting against him. So that was super interesting just to be able to like dissect his greatness in a loving way this time rather than hating on him. So <laughs> just a, such an incredible – I left that feeling super inspired and trying to bring in my own way, in my own craft, like trying to bring more – LeBron level focus and intensity and leadership to everything that I'm doing because just man I was just like it's like watching a movie watching sports I was just it was incredible yeah you bring up just to interject real quick you bring up a a very interesting point whether you are a fan or not whether you love him hate him or you're indifferent to him you have to acknowledge the fact that he leaves everything out on the court and he tries to put himself in the best physical emotional mental place every time he plays basketball not only the money he spends on his body but how he recovers how he does that and I I think being in that bubble and everything it was just very interesting so I I got to give uh give props to him and and congratulations for uh for your championship (laughs) yeah I'll take the congrats yeah no man it's uh, he's 35 I've never seen a human being in the NBA like uh just be so athletic and explosive at that age and it's a testament to exactly what you just said he's invested more than anybody into his mind, his body, uh, and, and just the time and the diligence he takes to do those things, to just focus on just the body and probably just the mind. I know he's into mindfulness and all those things. That's not even including the strategy he brings and the skill set he brings. It's just really fascinating. Um, we're going to eventually get to your background, but I guess we're just hopping into <laughs> it. This makes me think of something that you talk a lot about, which is accountability and self-accountability. Like when I think LeBron James, I'm like, when I – like this guy must invest just so much into himself and that takes a lot of accountability. I'm sure he has a lot of people around him kind of nudging him in the right direction. But even after the, um, the finals, he had this awesome interview and they were kind of asking him what he attributed his success to. And he was just like, I literally trust the process. I literally show up to the process day in, day out. And I kind of just put my head down. And then afterward, I kind of see the results and this this trusting the process must have some self-accountability. I know this is something that you talk a lot about. What is it about accountability that, you know, is such a, such a big, uh, you know, focus point for you? Yes, that, I appreciate that, that question. John C. Maxwell, the uh, leadership expert, literally uh, Success Magazine has said he's the, you know, the guru when it comes to leadership. And he has a quote where he says, everything rises and falls with leadership. I have a quote where I say everything rises and falls with accountability. And obviously I have sold like one millionth uh, books that John does. So I can't say that I'm right versus, versus him. But the one thing I think is that everybody is not always a leader. We all have leadership qualities and maybe we might have leadership opportunities, whether it's team, company, family, friends. But I think the quote that I share is everything rises and falls with accountability is what I think LeBron James epitomizes where before he can be accountable to a teammate, to a head coach, to an assistant coach, to an organization, he has to first and foremost be accountable to himself. Now, if you are accountable more to other people than you are to yourself, it's a recipe for disaster. You might win a game or two. If you're the best team, you might win a series against the, the, you know, the number eight seed. But to win a championship in life and business, relationships, family, 
fill in the blank, you have to hold yourself to a higher level of accountability than anybody else does. And for me, what I love about sports is it's very, it's very similar to life. You have to put in the best effort and you have to continually try to get better and learn. And when you get knocked down, because the reality is we will all get knocked down in life. How do you get up? And the one thing about LeBron to me is very similar to, to Tom Brady in the sense that if you look at their championship seasons, if you look at their entire career, they, neither of them are 8-0 and in, in NBA Finals and Super Bowls and never lost. They've both lost multiple championships, but they get back and they come back stronger and they learn. And with LeBron, you know, he's been on and off a couple of teams and, you know, he had to mold a lot of those teams. And I'm curious to see what Tom Brady does with, with maybe this season, the next season if he plays again. But I think the accountability side is, is so important and it goes – one step further is, is what I call, and I talk a lot about, is that self-accountability mirror. You know, I might be able to fib to you or stretch the truth as we're having a conversation, but when I look in that mirror first thing in the morning or last thing at night, that person's not going to lie back to me, and that person's not going to accept something that's not the truth. Now, maybe if there's somebody out there that has quadruple personality, that's a different story, but the reality is when you look at yourself in the mirror, you know whether you, you gave your best effort. You know if you put in put in the work required to succeed in whatever endeavor in your life. And I think mm. accountability is something that we all can change and alter. The question is, are we willing to put in the work? Yeah, I love that. It's kind of like that, that, that phrase, <clears throat> who are you when no one's watching? And that's something, um, yeah. you know, I think that that feeds into confidence, you know, like I, I can be really hardworking when everyone's around, but who I'm being when it's just me in a room is really what feeds into, I can imagine the core of my confidence when it comes to, doing the things that matter, like sitting down for this uh, podcast. If every time I was alone, I kind of just like cut corners and I didn't, you know, actually prepare or I didn't read and I actually didn't feed and, and invest in myself, I would have trouble being confident in the matters that are in the, in the times that matters most. So uh, I love what you said there, but where does, where does one begin to develop that accountability? So first I like what you said, it's kind of, I can have standards for myself that might be higher than someone else might place for me, like having those high standards for yourself. Um, but you also talked about, even before this conversation, the accountability in this kind of mastermind group you're a part of. And I'm like thinking, wow, that's, that's incredible. So where, where do people start um, with accountability in terms of getting more of it? Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question. The first step, I know it's, it's a little bit old school, but I believe, and there's science proven about taking a pen or a pencil and, and paper, putting things down, whether it's ideas, questions, comments. I love you it. Know, techno technology is amazing, and I don't want any listeners to think that you know I have an iPhone one or you know I still use a dial-up for my internet. But what what's been proven is when you actually take pen to paper, you think differently, you remember differently. And for me, that's one of the things, and I can share you share with you because I have in front of me is my I have journals from you know many many years ago and when i start with new clients or new potential clients i always ask them hey put some stuff on paper you know everybody's got a phone with a camera and all the stuff so even if they don't want to type it up i say you put it on paper you know take a picture of it and send it to me and when you think about those things that are important to you those challenges those things you want to achieve those things you want to do less of do more of and when you put it down on paper it almost writes itself in the sense of okay here's where I need to be more accountable. Here's where I can be more accountable. And at the end of the day, if, if you take the time and effort and thinking about it, 
it's got to come from you first. Now, I'm a huge believer in accountability partners, but again, it goes back to, you know, that person can't hold you more accountable than you're holding yourself to. So before you do anything, whether it's a coach, accountability partner, whether it's a mentor, whether it's a boss at work, you have to take some time with yourself. And the thing that people always kind of, you know, they roll their eyes when you talk about doing that is I'm not talking about six hours of an uninterrupted time and, and, you know, close your, your office door or your bedroom door and turn everything off and, and shut yourself out from the world. I'm talking about 15 or 20 minutes. And the thing that I talk about all the time is every single one of us, myself included, you included, can take 15 or 20 minutes every single day for themselves. Now you might not be able to take 15 or 20 minutes every hour, but the reality is every single one of us, whether we have kids, not kids, married, single, whatever it is, we all can take 15 or 20 minutes. Now for you and me, it might mean we have to wake up 20 minutes early that day, or it might mean we have to watch 20 minutes less of, of a television show or get off of, of Instagram or, or Facebook or Twitter. But everyone here, myself included, like I said, can take those 15 to 20 minutes and really, really take time to, uh, to get after it. And, and, what are we exactly getting after in those 15 to 20 minutes? If you were to like give someone some tangible advice, like um, I like that you're posing questions. Where can I be more accountable with myself? I like that. I love asking questions and I'm uh, I too like to write pen and paper. Like that's, that's my, that's my, that's my zone right there. <laughs> so a good question to like even journal about for me, I'm, I'm, I'm immediately thinking what aspects of my life can I, where can I be more accountable? Where can yeah. I, where can I build into the system more accountability? And then in terms of those like 15 to 20 minutes to, to, to get after it, like, are you revisiting kind of your, your goals? Are you checking those places that you want to be more accountable? What are you kind of, what are you kind of suggesting? I love that question. And, and if you could see my journal uh, right now, the question I ask and the way I start every single one with my clients and potential clients and even sports teams is a very simple question. What am I grateful for right now? That's the first thing that you put down on there and it gets your mind into being, you know, well, I got to do this and I got to compete and am I competing with this person and am I doing enough? So you focus and you frame that 15 or 20 minutes or 10 minutes or half hour, whatever it is with the idea of what our concept of and the foundation of what am I grateful for right now? And then the other thing we talk about when it comes to accountability is identifying small wins and areas where, where we'd like to make improvements. So it's not, failure and it's not you know where did i mess up it's it's very simple as you know list three small wins you've had over the last 24 hours and then it's list three areas or three things you'd like to improve on so now all of a sudden the foundation is first and foremost gratitude secondly is is you're looking at those three small wins and and then the third perspective is i'm identifying three areas I'd like to make improvements or adjustments. And if you answer those honestly, now you have six things, excuse me, seven things to begin framing that 15 or 20 minutes. And, and typically, if you're honest with yourself, you will identify, well, you know what? I need to be a little bit more accountable here. Hey, you know what? That's a pretty good victory I had. How do I get that same type of victory tomorrow? Or maybe how do I get you know, two or three days in a row of that? And, and when you look at those things and you frame it with the mindset of gratitude, and then celebrating your wins and then looking at areas to make improvement. It's putting yourself in a creative mind and your mindset is now saying, okay, I'm appreciative of this. I've had some wins. Now what are some areas I can maybe make improvements on? And now all of a sudden mm. your creativity is, is focused for those 15 or 20 minutes. I love that. Uh, yeah. It's like, 
it's it's touching on a lot of bases. It's like ref, time for reflection is so important just to kind of digest your life and not just kind of f- flowing around. You're kind of like having that mindfulness, that intentionality with what you're doing. And then I like that you're kind of priming the pump before you get right into what can I do better, which might make you kind of be hard on yourself over and over. You're not like building that neural pathway. You're not building that repetitious thought. You're kind of building that thought of, what can I be grateful for? What is going well? And then from that frame, you know, what could I continue to do well? What can I do a little better? And I love that. I love, you know, the approach that back to where you're taking to that. Um, when I think about accountability, I think, and, and since we started with basketball, basketball is my first craft and where I started with so much of, uh, you know, it, it was like my first personal development journey, if you will. And I look back to the success I had and I, can only imagine what would have been what would have been had I been more open to external accountability in terms of I held myself to a high standard I tried to do everything myself I loved to be in the gym by myself I prided myself on being the hardest worker so that that you know who are you when no one's watching you know I I was confident in that I knew I was putting in work but the external accountability in terms of like allowing coaches to reach me and allowing you know trainers to reach me that was a blind spot I had. And I think it definitely came from like this egoic, I can do it myself. I know best because I'm a talented player. Looking back, I can say, yeah, you were talented, but still that doesn't mean people can't help you. And there was a lot of places where you needed help. Um, Especially the way I treated like my physical body and, and the way I lifted weights. And like, I just, I was trying to do it all myself. And so where for you, you know, do people have an opportunity, you know, shifting from self accountability to kind of this external accountability? Yeah, you know, it, it goes to one of my favorite words, which is is vulnerability. And I think as men, uh, that's a that's a word that is is looked upon. I believe 100% the wrong way. It's looked upon as weakness, and mm. I'm weak if I'm asking and showing vulnerability. And I think for me, mm. being a former uh, basketball player myself, as as you were, it's the one sport really where you can do it. 100 miles an hour full speed by yourself and the reason I say that is you know you can dribble and run up the court and you know put yourself in game situations you know tennis you can't by yourself really baseball you can't you know pitch a ball to yourself football you can't you know throw and tackle yourself Um, but my point to that is you get to a point where you need somebody else or other people to really help in certain areas and the biggest thing as it going back to what I said about being vulnerable is asking a coach or a mentor or a trainer say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing really well in these two or three areas, but I feel that X, Y, Z, I need, I need help on, or do you have any recommendations? So I always ask people to be honest with themselves first and foremost, again, going back to, to those seven things. And maybe with that list is you've, you've identified one or two areas. So for example, let's say you're an amazing basketball player, but you're, your lifting and your fitness perspective is not great. You put that on your list of areas of improvement. Now you reach out to a teammate or an assistant coach or head coach and say, Hey, you know, one of the areas that I really want to improve on is I want to get more knowledgeable how to lift and, and what exercises I could do. Is there anybody you could recommend? And when you ask for help to people that are at a higher level than you, whether it's assistants, coaches, people that are better than you, more often than not, They've had people, if not multiple people, help them along the way, and they are very eager to return a favor. So if you came to me and asked me that question, I'd say, yeah, you know, I have two or three guys that I've worked with that I could definitely recommend. You know, I'll shoot you, uh, you guys a, a group text, and 
know, you guys take it from there. People love to return a favor when they've had people that have mentored them and helped them along the way. It's almost like a, mm. it's almost like a, a given where if I've had two or three or four coaches, mentors along the way, and then all of a sudden you come into my life and, and you reach out to me and say, Hey, I'd like some guidance. I'm going to hit back, hit you back and say, yeah, you know what? There's these two guys are awesome. I'd love to make an introduction for you. Yeah. I feel like that's a, <clears throat> a phase in my life I'm in right now that I can see it's just, I'm already seeing the benefits of how much this can help. I've always been, I'm trying to break the paradigm that the, the software I'm in of, I can do it all myself because um, I've had mentors and a lot of people I've learned from, and I, I, I'm so open to knowledge, but it almost is in a sense of like, you know, I'll go out and read or I'll learn from like my friends or my clients. But in terms of actually having a coach that's telling me and giving me constructive criticism, it's always been, a, I think, a blind spot. And I've, I've been working with like a, a spiritual life coach recently. And now I just am hiring a business coach, actually. And this is, the, this is a big growing opportunity for me. And I know you, you coach a lot of people and work with a lot of people. What is it about? Let me interject one, one, um, one thing about the word framing. And I know you know what framing is um, from your past uh, basketball world and even as, as a coach now and doing what you do. But I, I would suggest, and I do this with all my clients is, is, change the narrative of constructive criticism to constructive feedback. And the reason I say that, and it sounds so no, simple good. and hokey, but for me, I've never been criticized in my entire life and I've enjoyed it, mm. but I've been critiqued and I've been given suggestions and I've asked questions about how I could improve. And, and, and it's something for me is it goes back to the mindset and putting yourself in the frame of mind where you say, okay, Max is not going to sit across from me and now criticize me for the next three minutes. What he's going to do is he's going to give me some constructive feedback. He's going to offer a suggestion or like you did. And we've done during this conversation is we're going to ask questions to each other. John Maxwell says, great leaders ask great questions. And I remember the first time I heard, it, I was like, Oh, that's great. That sounds good. And then the more I, I started thinking about it, I said, wow. I said, the most successful fill in the blank have all asked questions over and over again they've asked questions the same question to multiple people because they want to understand it so they can get better and i think if you frame it in that regard as i'm going to get some constructive feedback or some constructive suggestions or ideas or i'm going to get a couple open-ended questions asked towards me that i need to really think about say you know what max i'm not really sure about that let me um let me really think about that before i get back to you but i really appreciate you and i love the word challenge I do. I use that word all the time with my clients where I'll say, Hey Max, you know, I'm going to challenge you on this, or I'm going to challenge you to, you know, to take that one step further for our next meeting next week. And, and when you do it, it frames it in a positive way where people respond differently than when you, when you get hit with that constructive criticism, it's almost like people, they say, you know, no, no disrespect. And then they all of a sudden they say something completely disrespectful, but because they, they start off with no disrespect, you know, they, they think that they can really say what they want to say. Yeah. I love, no, I love the idea of framing and especially with questions. I love, you know, Tony Robbins was someone who opened that idea up to me is like your, your life is your life quality is like equal to the, the level of questions you're asking yourself. So if you're always asking yourself, why is my life so shitty? You're going to find evidence for that. But if you continually ask yourself, like what is going really well, you'll always be in the listening and looking for that. So I love that. Um, and I love that shift, you know, from, from criticism to feedback, 
beyond that simple reframing of the word, you know, I'm receiving feedback, not criticism. What are, do you have any tips for like maybe people that, because I look at myself and I can be self-aware enough to know, like when it comes to the things I care most about and I'm trying my, my, my hardest at, there is a level of sensitivity that comes with someone coming in telling me you're doing this wrong or this could be, you know, there's, there's that, you know, almost like trigger that's like triggering me. How do you have any tips for, because you've worked with people directly, like how you almost can allow, let's say I'm the mentee, I'm being coached. How can I be more receptive and not so sensitive when it comes to these things and not take the method of approach so serious um, so that, you know, I can get to that objective. Cause I'm thinking like I have this business coach coming in and I, I know this relates to so many people There, people can become sensitive to receiving the, the feedback they need to grow because they're like, Oh, well, I, I must be doing it wrong. You know? And what's that say about me? Do you have any tips in that regard so that yeah. we can better see the forest from the trees? I love that. Better see the forest and the trees. That's, that's, <laughs> a really, that's a really powerful question because I think a lot of people and myself included, we probably deal with that quote unquote issue all throughout our life, whether it's personally, professionally. And really? the thing that I, I say, and it's, it's so much easier said than done. And it's really the only advice I have is try to remove yourself from the person. And what I mean by that is, it's a famous quote I love by Zig Ziglar is failure is, is an event, not a person. So if, for example, I'm mentoring you or coaching you or training you, and I'm giving you some advice or maybe in the old way, constructive criticism, you have to be able to remove yourself at least one degree. And, and, and it's again, so much easier said than done, but say, okay, Chris is coming to me because a, he cares B I've hired him or he's mentoring me X, Y, Z he wants me to do well. He wants me to succeed. So even if I doesn't sound amazing the way he or she delivers this message, I have to fully believe in my heart, my mind that he's coming with the right reasons behind it. So, so if you can put that, that line almost down, you know, draw it like in the Alamo and say, are you with me or are you against me? And say, look, I understand. Now it doesn't mean all of a sudden you snap your finger and maybe a harsh comment or criticism. You just say, oh, it sounds great. But if you can put yourself and going back to the word we used a little while ago and just reframe it where you say, okay, I know that he's not attacking me, my character, my ability. He actually, or she's coming from a good place. I think I'm going to be a little bit more receptive. So if you can take your, almost your, your defense mechanism and your, your wall, and I'm not going, I'm not saying from take it from a, let's say a level 10 down to a zero, but maybe you take it from a 10 down to a seven. So it doesn't mean you completely open up and say whatever he or she says, whatever, I could care less. But mm. you say, you know what, I'm going to be a little bit more receptive. And that's something that people have to work on. That's not natural and it doesn't come easy. But it's something I work with my clients a lot is, is be a little bit more receptive today. You know, take your wall down. I, I use that analogy a lot because people obviously know of the Great Wall of China and different walls and you're, you're fighting battles. But it's like, okay, take the wall from a 10 down to an eight and then maybe a day or two or our next coaching session say all right max you were at an eight last time you know let's let's take it to a seven and if you continually do those small wins yield yield big results i love that yeah it's it's definitely not taking it personal and um just it's almost like a humbling to the thing you're trying to accomplish i know for me it's really important to have like my individuality and to have my sense of freedom that's like one of the things that drive my life and so i think 
as you're saying that one of the things that come up for me when someone tries to give me, and it's funny because I love giving advice. I just have had trouble receiving the advice <laughs> when it's direct. Um, you know, it's like, well, no one knows better than me because it's my life. But I think if I, if, if we, and if I could be more humble in the receiving the advice and know that like the end goal, we share the end goal. You, if you're coaching me, we share the end goal. And so I, it's almost like trusting that, like you said, and trusting that you are on my team rather than trying to shift me away from what I'm deeming important. I think that's a, that's a helpful, you know, distinction to make. Yeah. No, and it's, and it's, it's acknowledging that we are in this together and if you succeed, ultimately I succeed and we succeed together. And again, it's, it's, it's framing it, but then the next part is, is actually going ahead and doing it. So I could tell you, you could tell me to frame something differently and we'd be maybe open to it. But then it's when you receive that, that criticism or feedback is now you're saying, okay, I got to make sure I take action on this. And, and again, keep my wall down, be more receptive for this and know that Max has my best interest at heart even though I might not have loved the way he said it, if I think about what he actually said and what he's trying to help me accomplish, I think it's easier to, to grasp. Amazing. What is something that you often help people with in your coaching clients? So um, maybe give me a, a brief rundown of like what you help people with directly and what kind of, um, you know, if someone's coming to you and say, Hey, Chris, like what, what can you help me with? What, what is your kind of wheelhouse? And then what are some of the low hanging fruit that you, you you often deal with, with your clients? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really direct way you put that. I like that for me, very simple is um, there have been studies over the last 50 years of people that actually set tangible goals versus people that have a general idea of where they want to go. And you know, again, going back to one of my favorite people, Zig Ziglar, he's got a famous quote is you can't hit a target you don't have. So for me growing up, I always had specific goals and targets. I'm not talking about, you know, this day, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna have $11 and 14 cents in the bank account this day and $11 and 15 cents. I'm not talking about the minutia of, of, you know, paralysis, but over analysis. But the biggest thing is people don't have specific goals, personally, professionally, and they end up going and, and coasting through that week, that month, that summer, and, and have those conversations with friends like, oh, you know, I really want to get better at this, or, you know, I really want to, you know, get the next place in my, in my career. So the, the big thing we, we talk about is, is setting goals, and we have a whole goals program, and literally we work with, with teenagers up through college students and, and beyond that really haven't been taught how to do that, and I was never taught that when I was younger. I never had a class in high school, college, middle school, where someone said, hey, what do you want to do? You know, when you were in kindergarten, everyone gets asked, you know, what do you want to be? And it's either, you know, president, fireman, you know, police, police officer, or professional fill in the blank uh, athlete. And for some reason, we stopped that literally in kindergarten or first grade. And not that you want to have these, you know, big goals programs every single year, but we help our clients identify that. And it goes back to the next step, which is accountability, effectiveness, and efficiency. How can you be more effective? How can you be more efficient? How can you get to that goal or objective either at that target or if not sooner? And then for us, the, the low-hanging fruit is, is we do a lot of, of work with um, sales teams, sales companies, people in the sales world, because what happens in today's day and age, and, and I saw it when I got into the um, business world many, many years ago, is the training today is is minimal at best. and you know 
it's kind of funny, but I have my cell phone right now holding it up and that's literally what the training is. It's like, all right, Max, you have a cell phone. Okay. Go to your contacts and start at the letter A and then call everybody until you get to the letter Z and see if you can have an appointment. And literally like everyone laughs at that, but that's what people are, are taught nowadays in the sales world is it's just meetings, 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 meetings. They're not taught the science behind it. They're not taught the right way to follow up professionally. Do you have a system in place? Do I send an email first? And then when do I make that phone call? And when is it appropriate to make the follow-up phone call? Um, and we do a lot with, with sports teams as well. And, and one of the things that we really focus on is what we call the PMA, which is the positive mental advantage. And, and it's the you know, area between our two ears that everybody can improve. And what I mean by that is I'm 5'11 right now. As much as I'd like to wake up tomorrow and be 6'6 six, six or 6'7, six, it's not going to happen. I don't know if, if you've ever played baseball, but if you're, if you're maxing out your fastball at, at 85 miles an hour, maybe with some work you get up to 86, maybe 87, you're never going to go from 85 to 100 miles an hour. So obviously you work on those skills, you get stronger, you get faster, but it's the other side is to say, okay, well, what, what can I do with that, with that positive mental advantage? How can I put myself in that eighth inning with, with two outs? How can I put myself in that position when you know, we're down by two points with, with 10 seconds left or we're up by one point and we're on defense. And, and when you go through that and we do a lot of mental visualization and going through things, you give yourself that positive mental advantage over your competition. In no way, shape or form does it guarantee that you're gonna go undefeated, but I'm a firm believer, you know, if, you, if you prepare and plan and if you go through different scenarios and you have them trained both on or off the court, in and out of the sales meeting, you're going to put yourself in the best position to, to succeed. And, and the other thing that, that I, I would say, again, back to your question, is a lot of people have these ideas and these thoughts and they know kind of where they want to go or what they want to do, but they've, they haven't been taught how to do it in the sense of putting it down on paper or putting it down on your computer or using different apps on your phone. And now all of a sudden, how do you hold yourself to a higher level of accountability? And if you have that system in place, which we teach our clients, the likelihood of you being more successful and the likelihood of you accomplishing those goals is so much higher than if you don't have it written down and you don't know exactly where you're going or how to go there. Mm. I love that. Um, tell me about the, the goal setting side of it. Cause I think I love that. And it, it ties into everything that we're talking about. Like you set the goals, you have a good system of setting goals. Um, yeah. You can't hit a target that doesn't exist. And then from there, you can kind of rely on the accountability we talked about. What are some do's and don'ts that you kind of start people with in terms of guiding them towards the right way to set goals? Yeah, I, and I love that. That's, that's a, really, it's a really interesting question. The, the first thing that I, we talk about is who is setting that goal. So, for example, if, if you're my sales manager and you're coming to me and basically saying, okay, Chris, here are your goals for the quarter or here are your goals for this month it's good for somebody that's more experienced in a, in a leadership role or a management position to give guidance or to give some framework for, for what expectations should be. But if you're giving somebody else your goal, or excuse me, somebody else is giving you their goal, the likelihood that you're going to really buy into it is, is very low. So the first thing we talk about with goals is identifying goals that are specific to you. And like I said, it's good to have input from people, especially if you're in a new position or field or company, but you can't have somebody else give you a goal that's only their goal and you have no real 
joy or nothing tied to it. So that's, that's the first thing. And the other thing it, what we find is people think that there's a magic number of, of how many goals you should have. Now, obviously you should not have 25 goals all at once and, you know, have 17 different spreadsheets and Excel and all that stuff. But, but there's no specific limit because I've worked with clients that have three or four goals per month. They have two or three. We've had some that have five to seven. It's got to be specific to you. And it goes to the acronym of, of SMART, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. And I know I went through that fast, but, mm. but just to, ra- to go through it quickly is they need to be specific. They need to be specific. I want to do X, Y, Z, or I want to improve you know, one, two, or three. They need to be measurable. You need to have a way of tracking them, whether that's electronically, on a pad, in a journal, and they need to be attainable. So for example, that's where people bump into an issue is if they came to let's say the real estate world, and they did $100,000 of commissions last year, and they did really well. If someone goes to them or they say, all right, I'm going to do $1.5 million this year, that most likely is not attainable from 100000 to $1.5 million. And what happens is when a goal is not truly attainable, you end up you know, kind of just letting it fall to the wayside. Mm. Um, and then they need to be relevant. They need, that goes back to the manager perspective. They need to be relevant to you. It's good to get advice and guidance from other people, but they have to be really relevant to you and what you truly want. And then time bound. You know, if I were, if I wanted to make a hundred thousand dollars in one year versus over a five or 10 year period in my career, that's a very significant difference. So that's something we tie to with, with people is, all right, when do you want to do this by, how do you want to do this? And, you know, again, a really cool acronym, but smart, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time bound. I love that. And it makes me think, you know, I definitely get in those like, oh, I'm going to sit down and get clear. It's the first of the month. What are my goals for the month? And it's really easy in that state to dream huge and to dream big and to get really excited about the big, big goals. And then, you know, one week in, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm so far from that. And it becomes this daunting task. But when you, when I can set really like achievable goals, but they're, you know, they stretch me a little bit. So, you know, that's the benefit of a goal is it kind of pulls you forward towards it, but then it's not too far. It's not too easy. It's not too hard. It kind of puts you in that, that flow state, you know, that flow state is triggered by activities that allow you to be a little bit out of your comfort zone, but not so hard that you're being discouraged. And I think applying that idea of like, what puts me in flow to goals? uh, That's a really interesting way to put it. Yeah. I've I've seen that and I've tweaked that and changed it, but it's, it, it works and it's worked for a long time, you know? I love that. And then it says no quit on your shirt. That's a big part of your brand. No quit living. I love it. Um, has, you, you know, this is hashtags. Everything's hashtag accountability everywhere. Dang. I mean, look at this. T- this is a perfectly webbed talk, Chris. We got the accountability, <laughs> the goal setting, you know, it all ties in and now you can't quit that goal. Um, what is it about this whole quitting idea that, yeah, like what, what makes you so excited about helping people not quit? Do you think a lot of people quit too early? Oh, I, I, I think I think people quit way too early. And I'm, I'm sure you and I have both quit things uh, too early. And it goes to a couple of things. But David Goggins talks about, you know, he feels that people only really give out 40% of what they have. And, and if, if your listeners don't know who David Goggins is, he's a, he's a former Navy SEAL. He's unbelievably motivating. But is something also that Jocko Willing talks about. And that's kind of where, where I really connected a, a couple of years ago is he said, you know, don't give up today. You know, don't throw in the towel today. It doesn't mean you're signing a 30 year, 
you know, never going to quit in 30 years, but it's just don't give up today. You know, just give it one more effort, give it one more, one more attempt. And for me, it goes back to a bunch of the sports I played growing up is I loved watching, watching sports. I still love watching sports and, you know, when teams down by 10 points and all of a sudden comes back and, and, you know, they have that amazing win and you just, you get excited, you feel the energy and, and sports are so similar to, to life is we all get knocked down. It's not a question of whether or not you and I are going to get knocked down during our lifetime. The question is how many times, you know, because you might get knocked down 10 times. I might get knocked down nine times or 11 times, but will you get up? Will I get up? And will you get up stronger, smarter? Will you learn from it? It's like my famous, uh, the famous, famous Japanese, Japanese proverb is fall down seven times, get back up eight. And you know, it's just always getting up one more time. And it doesn't mean you, you stay undefeated. It doesn't mean you have, perfect day every single day of the week seven days of of every single week and no it's it's do I get up do I keep going and even when things are difficult even when things are challenging do I dig my heels in and keep going more or do I say you know what this is kind of this is kind of the end for me and and I just I, I see stories all day long and I'm, I know you you see them as well and read them of just amazing people that just didn't quit and, and kept going and businesses relationships friendships were saved or molded because championships were won because the team didn't give up. I just had uh, the former major league baseball player, Johnny Damon on my podcast yesterday. And for those uh, maybe you don't know him, he was a member of the 2004 Boston Red Sox team that was down three games to nothing against New York Yankees in the ALCS. And up to that point, no team in baseball had ever come back uh, to win a series. They did. He also then went on to win a world series with the Yankees um, and he was talking about that specific team. And he said, you know, we cared about each other and we just, we couldn't let each other down. And, and the way he said it, and I was like, wow. And, and it just, it stood out to me because that was a difference of most, every single team up to that point that had been down three, nothing had never won, but they're the one pe- one team. And it, it's like, I'm sure, you know, the story of Roger Bannister, the first individual to run a sub four minute mile. This is back, I believe in, in the early 1900s. And up to that point, doctors, scientists said, you know, it's impossible if he, if he does it, you know, he'll die, his heart will come out or, and he went ahead and did it over the next like 10 years, I think like 25 people went on to break the four minute mark as well. Yeah. Yeah. It it ties into, um, you know, like LeBron loses his first finals horribly, um, gets drafted into the league and has all this pressure, has a lot of people say he's never going to win a ring. Like, that that consistency and just keep showing up trusting the process having that self-accountability having those attainable goals like you and i both aren't going to say let's be in the nba and then never quit because that's just silly um you and i are not meant for the nba but i love how everything in this conversation kind of ties together like it it starts with the 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 truly attainable goal and then Mm. the self-accountability and then it the not quitting to get to that, 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 uh, attainable goal is, uh, is beautiful. Um, I love all of this. You wrote a book and I haven't had the chance to read the entire book, but I mean, just with the message you're putting out, uh, I truly love what you're doing, what you stand for. It's very aligned for me. Um, dude, Chris, tell me about the book. Tell me about what inspired it. Like, tell me all about it. Cause, uh, I have a copy here and I'm really excited about it. Um, not, yeah, not, tell me about it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I know we're probably uh, running out of time here. So I, um, it's called The Positivity Tribe. You can get it uh, anywhere 
books are sold, but really it started with uh, the fact that myself and my team started spreading these positivity notes throughout the local area here. Mm. A bunch of people started spreading them. And what uh, is a positivity note? It's just literally, it's a white piece of paper that it's about one quarter the size of a regular printer paper. We have our logo and uh, in the middle of it's blank. We leave positive messages, positive quotes. And we started just doing it to uh, very simple because the fact we have no idea what somebody's going through. Maybe they're having a horrible day going through a divorce, a death in the family, lost their job, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, you know, they go out to their car under the windshield wiper and there's a positive quote. And um, it just, it just hit and connected. That was back in May, June and July of 2019. We've been doing it since then. This pandemic started this year and um, I was writing a different book and I just came up with the idea to write a fable very similar to to John Gordon's writing style. And mm. it's about three high school juniors going through very difficult times. Their uh, best friends, two girls and a boy, um, excuse me, two boys and a girl. And they're dealing with just issues and they form this quote unquote positivity tribe. They spread positivity notes throughout their school and community. And they, one of the end um, conversations, they realized that not only did this help us and did it help other people, but it just, it up it uplifts other people as well as us together. And it's just an unbelievable simplistic idea. And I think ironically, it could never, it could not have come at a better time. And in, in since what we have going on in 2020. I love it. One of my favorite books of all time is a fable. It's the alchemist, uh, which is, you know, a very common book for people to like. So it's, it is refreshing to hear someone in this personal self-improvement space, write A fable. So hats off to you for, for being unique in that way. Um, where can people get the book? Where can people find more about your work? I appreciate it. So the book, uh, anywhere, uh, anywhere they typically go for books, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books A Million. I think it's actually even on Walmart, uh, Target, uh, anywhere you go, it's, it's available. Um, ebook as well as traditional hardcover. And for me, the best place is our website, noquitliving.com. And um, I give my personal email address every podcast I do. I've had so many amazing people that have reached out to me, but more importantly, so many people that have responded to to me early on in my career and, and helped me and mentor me and shape me. So it's chris at noquitliving.com and would love to connect with people. And we're active, most actively on uh, Instagram at no under, underscore quit underscore living. And we'd love connecting with people and would love to just... Uh, have a conversation and see if there's any way we can help inspire uh, people to just keep going during these challenging times. I love it. I have two more quick questions for you. Um, you've mentioned John Gordon a couple of times. What are the, and I always love learning from and modeling people. Uh, what have you learned most from someone like John Gordon that you try to apply to your, your author career now? Yeah. John, John Gordon uh, actually wrote uh, an endorsement for the book and he's been on my, my podcast twice. He's, he's a, a, I'm fortunate to say a friend, but mm. what I learned from John is something that I try to, to duplicate in all areas of my life is he said, remaining positive and being positive doesn't mean this fake Pollyanna positivity where everything is great all the time. He said, you have to acknowledge those tough times, those difficult moments and those tough times ahead and still choose to approach it with the best positive mindset and positive attitude going into whatever it is. And, and that really hit me because I get asked all the time, people are like, Oh, like you positive all the time. And I went through a, a very difficult two and a half year divorce. And 
I was a hundred percent not positive all the time, but, mm-hmm. but what I did was I acknowledged it. I, I realized when things were difficult and I would take that, that time to kind of refocus and, and, you know, get back to it. And then it's just, all right, I got to approach this with, with the most positive mindset. And that's something that I think we all can do. And, and it's something that's super important in uh, 2020. I love it. Last question. Uh, it's actually a question I'm just starting to use, which I'm excited about. My podcast is called looking up. Um, what, when you hear looking up, what does it kind of mean to you? What comes to mind? I, I love that. And, and I think that's an awesome question. And for me, it just means that you have somewhere to go. It means you're looking up in the sense of you've been knocked down, going back to that Japanese proverb, you know, mm. fall down seven times, get up eight. If you can look up, if you can look ahead, then you can keep going. So that's what I would say. I think it fits perfectly with kind of our mission. Sweet. Chris, thank you for making the time, man. Uh, congrats on the start of the book and ex- excited for your early author career, man. It was super awesome to connect. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for the opportunity. That does it for this episode, guys. Thank you for listening to Looking Up. I so appreciate you guys. There's so many places you can be. So the fact that you're here is pretty cool. Leave a review on Apple iTunes if you don't mind. That really supports my work. Send this to someone who might like it. And say hello on Instagram if you want to talk to me. Appreciate you guys. And I hope in my finding direction, in my pursuing the life I want, I hope I'm supporting you in the same thing. Thank you for listening to Looking Up. I'll see you on the next episode. I'm going to go play with my dog. Okay, bye.